there's a, a teaching that I heard not so long ago that really uh, touches me uh, a lot. Um, it's actually extremely simple, uh, but I, th I think it's, um, it's simple but uh, profound, or I don't know if the word is profound there, or maybe essential. points uh, to, to me how this, to how this practice work and works and um, how it uh, has been unfolding for me, the, the arising of uh, some wisdom in this being. And the teaching is, uh, it says that um, for the arising of um, deep understanding or wise view or for the, you could even say for the liberation of the heart, if that's a way that you would relate to this. There's um, two things that can do that. And this, that's one of the Buddhist teachings. There's, there's several lists and things like this. This is a simple two-point list. So for the arising of deep understanding, anybody interested in deep understanding? Yeah. In the liberation of the heart-mind? So two uh, causes, we could say, uh, that can lead to that. So, so you know, some, somebody who says that, you hear that, you're like, oh, let's pay attention. You know, if I'm going to listen to something today, that might be the, the thing I could <laughs> pay attention to. So these two causes, it says that are, uh, it's the voice of another can cause wise or deep understanding to arise in oneself. And why is attention? That's it. That's the teaching. When I heard that, it so resonated with my experience of coming on retreats and hearing uh, Dharma talks, talks of, uh, on the Buddhist wisdom, and how, how much understanding I gain from listening to, the, to these talks. And then, but that's what one per percent of the two percent of the day, the rest of the time on the retreat, or hopefully the rest of the time on the retreat, is the other cause. It's the wise attention. And, and one of the things that touches me is that, wow, and this is exactly what we do here. There's the voice, the wise, hopefully, wise voice of another and we cultivate uh, wise attention. And out of this, uh, understanding uh, can come and innate freedom, maybe, can be uh, revealed. Yeah. Speech is, uh, is an amazingly powerful thing. And I like to slow down a little bit and just look, look at this. Uh, how speech can create um, tension and, and uh, discord, is that the word? How it can create confusion. We, uh, we have, um, we have um, been the, on the receiving hand of this, or probably at some, at some points also on the giving hand of using speech to create confusion, to hide truth, to uh, mislead, you know, to cover. Uh, 
even just here, we, you're, you might be like, why is he so much talking about speech? You know, we're in silence. But does it apply to me? Well, is there some speech going on in your mind or only in mine? Is there, today, is there some, have you noticed some monologues going on or dialogues? You know, let's go in the room. No, don't go in the room, you know. We can do this, now I'm tired, now come on, let's go. We think, and suddenly it's a whole committee, you know, having different opinions, uh, different views or desires, conflicting uh, views and opinions and desires on things, you know. A lot of speech is going on inside oneself. And uh, when you read uh, the Buddhist text, the old text, reports and documents from uh, what happened uh, um, when this old sage was having conversation for decades, uh, several conversations a day with uh, people, you know, at the well, at the edge of the forest or the village. And, uh, and all many of these uh, conversations are recorded and the Buddha is talking with people. And all the time you see people... Uh, understanding arising in people, you see uh, it's described how they get it. Suddenly some burden is released, some confusion, some fog is cleared, you know? And Oh, I see. And there's all kinds of way that it's reported in the text. They say after the Buddha has an exchange with somebody, say, they say to him, uh, oh, you know, what was uh, crooked? you put straight again. What had fallen, you put back again. They, they, all kinds of symbolic ways that they talk about the understanding that they gain and freedom and the clarity, you know. And uh, even when I say this, I can, I can feel like an energetically, you know, like the experience of clarity is so different than the experience of confusion. Do you agree with me? Like when I don't know what is what, what is leading to what, who I am, all this. And then when suddenly there is ease, uh, you know, confidence, clarity, all this. Peace, some peace gained with the world. Such a different experience. And a lot of this coming from speech, we can offer this. This is also why we practice. Why do we go on this kind of weird rite of passage that we're going on this weekend so that we can come back to our community and maybe have gained a little bit more access to a speech of uh, kindness, compassion, uh, some clarity, some honesty that we can infuse our speech with for the better, for the betterment, for the, for the whole community. Yeah. This is what we're doing here. So speech, extremely powerful, can break lives, can make a community. So that's one. And then on the other side, uh, the second cause being the wise attention. Uh, this is what we're trying to do here. And I'd like to talk just a little bit about this. Yeah, there's a quote, if you allow me to use technology for a few seconds here. So this is from the text. Um, 
there is the case where an untaught, ordinary person is unskilled and undisciplined in their dhamma. Uh, they do not understand what things are fit for attention or what things are unfit for attention. Since that is so, they attend to those things unfit for attention and those not uh, and does and do not attend to those things fit for attention. So there's confusion at the start, you know. This is I think this describes us really well. It certainly describes me really well. So I'm sitting here and if I'm untaught, if I haven't been given a few instructions about how to use the time here, oh man, this is going to be a sorry mess. Because I'm going to sit here, well, the past, rehashing, revisiting traumatic events or un you know, and we we and being totally focused on the story and the story and not being aware that I'm thinking, just being completely entranced, fascinated, lust in a world created by the mind here and now. But I don't know that. I'm totally like, but they said that and I said that. And if I had said that, they would maybe they would have. I'm so bad that I said that. And they, they you know, and. I go through this story one time, but that's not enough. <laughs> Fifteen is the introduction to the story. You know. But they really said that. I can't believe this is what they said. And I said that. Well, the next time, if they, and then I leave the past, the made-up construction of the mind, and I fly in the future. When they come to me and they say that, this is what I'm going to say. And I'll say that. And then they'll probably say that. I know them. And I'll say that, you know, or I won't be able to say that, and that's bad me again, you know, and all this. And so this is, this is how I use the time, if you let me uh, do it freely and un unconsciously, you know. So I don't know for you, but that's kind of the things that tend to happen. And then some, suddenly there's this voice that says, can you be aware that thinking is happening, <laughs> you know? And because of this kind of new conditioning that comes in, suddenly I kind of wake up every few minutes, you know, like, oh, there's thinking happening. That's something that is really happening in the present moment. So I go from things that are unfit for attention to things that are fit for attention. This wake up to what is actually happening now. Yeah? this person there, that sometimes I'm sorry it's a man that is there because that had a lot of influence on <laughs> a lot of things. I wish it had been a woman, you know, or some. Well, sometimes I look at this person and I think they're very androgynous or trans. I like that. But they're not being publicized like this, you know. We hear a lot about the men, you know. Anyway. Um, so this uh, person, if you look at the, the statue there, you'll see that you might think, if you, if you haven't looked well, that they have their two hands on their lap. But they actually don't, huh? if you look well. Because there's one hand like this. Some of you might know of this, uh, this mudra. So there was one uh, night, one famous night, the night of the enlightenment of the Buddha, where um, they were sitting there and uh, they were being attacked by their mind, like we are often entranced 
you know, and there is this inner voice personified. We, we say Mara was there, the personification of difficult states of mind. And Mara was saying, who do you think you are, you know? You think you're going to sit there and clarify things, clarify life, human life, get rid of uh, trouble that's in your mind? You are out of your mind. This is not doable. Get out of there, you know? So you might have had this experience today. Maybe it doesn't look as epic, or maybe it does, you know, where in the description of this text, you see Mara is there with his hundreds of thousands of thousands of soldiers, you know, like, so the Buddha is really sitting there afraid of not being able to do the task or wondering if it's even possible to do, or why he's even sitting there, you know. And, and so he goes from unwise attention, that's one way I could understand this. He goes from unwise attention, should I do this, should I, why did I come to retreat, you know, Labor Day weekend, so the Buddha's sitting there under the Bodhi tree, you know, Labor Day weekend. I could have done so many things, what did I have in mind? Why did I, you know, why, did, why ever come to a place where they sit and walk like zombies, you know? Why do that? So going from kind of unwise attention to wise attention. That's how I understand this moment there. What's actually happening? Oh, pressure on the fingers. This is real. Who I am, who I am not, what I should have done, what it could have happened if I had decided to do something else on Labor Day, you know, how pleasant it would have been or unpleasant here or there, you know. All these are very confusing thoughts, but what's happening here? Oh, pressure on the butt. This is really happening. Yeah. Fear is present. Turmoil is present. Confusion is present. This is really happening. The ideas about it, the trends, like, it's very unclear, it's very seductive, very, I'm swallowed in this, these thoughts. But the fact that there is confusion, I can know that. Oh, it has a certain texture, doesn't it? Do you f I, when I sit, to me, it's, um, that's, I don't know if it reflects your experience, but for me, when I'm sitting, states of mind have a texture. Confusion, agitation, it, it's, uh, it has a certain uh, flavor, texture. It, it's, it's felt in a certain way, very different than calm, very different than contentment very different than uh, curiosity or joyful curiosity, kind of a little playfulness, like, let me sit here and see what's going to be known, what can be known. These states of mind have very different uh, flavor to them, yeah? And so as we sit here, we're invited to bring wise attention to this, the flavors of the mind states. That's only one area that we can bring attention to. Maybe first one is the grounding one, like just the physicalness of things, like the hand there, the touch, the sounds, coming back to reality. Oh, like now just the sound of the air system. I don't know if you can hear that. Extremely simple. And then through being attentive to that, or the breath, in a way I don't really mind. You know, one of the things I can discover is that, oh, 
there's some kind of little agitation in the heart. You know, as it's this human being is sitting here, listening to fan, ventilation, whatever, however you call it, there's unrest. Yeah? This unrest makes me think things, makes me do things. It's good that I clarified this, that there's unrest. Otherwise, I'm blind to it, and I'm just thinking, overthinking, shooting up the coconut. You know, I have to change my life. My life is a wrong life. You know, it's like, oh, no, there's just agitation here. Can I be with this? I'm talking to you about, honestly, I'm talking to you about the practice I'm doing when I sit. So I'm sharing about my practice. So, um, and in that moment there, there's a little thing that is happening. I don't know if you're noticing, but uh, this little thing that is happening, I would uh, want to call this revolution. Complete revolution of the heart-mind. Because as I sit here, listen to the fan, or whatever it is that makes this little buzz, notice that maybe it's unsettled here. The attention that I bring to this is a caring attention. It's, a, it's an engaged attention, I want to say. It's not like, oh, this isn't, I want to get rid of it. You know, it's just like, oh, what's happening, Pascal? Oh, this ad agitation on discomfort here. And there's a caring quality that comes in. This is what is being cultivated in that moment. This is learning how to be awake to what's happening. This is learning to accompany oneself. This is what is getting strengthened. So this is a wholesome relationship to reality that is being trained. Yeah? If I sit here and listening to or feeling, let's say, the um, breath at the belly, because that's what is known in the experience as I become attentive. I feel the gentle rise and fall of the abdomen, maybe. And I notice that uh, the attention is, uh, has some calm to it, some steadiness to it. As I put attention on this, feel the breath, feel the quality of the attention. So maybe joy might arise because it's, it's, a, it's a state of mind that is rather liberating, rather disentangled. Would you agree on something like this? So I'm sitting here, it's pretty simple, just the breath. And there's a, some kind of peace, like not, not like the big, I don't know, like some, something amazing peace, but just simple little peace. I say, oh, this is a good relationship to life. You know, it's pretty peaceful. It's, the attention is settled. That's good. It feels good. Then I can, I'm cultivating just that and being aware of this. So slowly I'm clarifying what states of mind are helpful in my life, which ones are unhelpful, and I'm learning also to uh, cultivate the helpful ones, even in the middle of the unhelpful ones. I tend to have uh, some anxiety some of the times. 
before I would sit in uh, or live in anxiety and just be stuck in it and resentful of it or panicky about getting rid of it or worrying that it's going to get worse, you know. And now I can have anxiety and have kindness also, compassion, friendliness in the mind-heart. So much so that sometimes there is anxiety and there's, I feel like I could easily say I'm happy, you know, because I don't feel like I have to get rid of it. I, there's, a, there's a really beautiful way to accompany this. There's a freedom there. I don't know if it's the freedom that they experience behind me, you know, but it definitely has the flavor of freedom. I'm not stuck with the anxiety. There is anxiety. It's part of the experience. It's being known. Or there is boredom. Sometimes there is boredom. It's one um, teen on a teen retreat who said, uh, to me at some point, at the beginning of the retreat, I think day two or something like this, said, uh, you know in the morning you guys, uh, you serve uh, porridge. Why? This is so boring. There's no taste, no texture, it's bland. Can't you afford like toast and marmalade or peanut butter? What's wrong with you guys? You know. Kind of, that's, that's kind of what he was saying. And I said, oh, well, I'm a meditation instructor. You know. <laughs> Can't help it. So I said, uh, oh, that's an interesting interest, uh, situation to bring attention to. You know, like it's a unique experience. You know, you sit there and there's this reality shows up in exactly this way, you know. So there's this texture, this experience, plus the quality of your mind, you know, the, bored mind, bored to death mind, you know. It's very unique flavor of mind, you know. And I, actually I'm really in line with the teachings of the Buddha because the Buddha in the text says, when the mind is, you know, agitated, know the mind as agitated. When the mind is calm, know the mind as calm. When the mind is bored, know the mind as bored to death, you know. <laughs> when the mind is interested, know the mind as interested. When the mind is tight, Know the mind, mind, heart, I don't mind. Know it as tight. When it's relaxed, know it as relaxed. Yeah. So anyway, I said this to the, this uh, young person. And, uh, you know, like, you should bring it, you could bring attention to this. That, that, because you don't control it, you know, like, we don't control everything in life. You know, you, here's a place where you won't get toast, you know, because there aren't in the morning. <laughs> if you're, anyway, I, I just said that, and he, he went like, <laughs> and left. And at the end of the retreat, he came to see me and he said, wow, man, that was amazing. You know, like the porridge, like I eat all of it now. Because it's so interesting to watch, you know, the texture, the reactivity of the mind, the aversion, the opinions about it, you know, like how the mind will create Amazing suffering around porridge. <laughs> I could ask you what's in your plate this, these days that you're having trouble with, you know? <laughs> what's in my plate? What's in your plate, Pascal, these days that you're rejecting, you know? That is being freely offered by life, you know? And I was very happy because the way I was thinking about it was, wow, this person is gaining freedom. 
their freedom doesn't depend on porridge or toast. You know, if your freedom, happiness depends on toasts, it's a tricky life to be in, you know, because there's not always toasts. <laughs> if you see what I mean, I think you see what I mean. Yeah. So we have the bar pretty high in the, in the, in the Buddhist uh, thought, you know, like there's a freedom that is, can be unrelated to the circumstances. Wow, what's that about? And it doesn't mean you do nothing about the circumstances. Let's be careful about this. It doesn't mean like people can abuse you and, or abuse other and you don't have to do anything. It's the Buddhist way is you're fine with things as they are. No, it's not like that. But there's a freedom that is possible recognizing that there will be people saying and doing things and that I have the capacity to stand up and speak and do things you know, about what's going on. But I can do it in a free way also, or tend towards more and more freedom uh, in this way. I don't know if I'm clear or not about that. So I, uh, I'm just returning suddenly to wise uh, speech, you know, that I can free the mind. I, was, I, I always uh, like teaching with uh, Anushka because I really enjoy her teaching and her images that she brings. And there's many things I like about her dharma, her pace. Also, when she speaks, there's a, a pace that uh, allows me to, to hear. And, uh, but this morning, she, I think this morning it was, yeah, she was using the, an image of uh, going to the pool uh, and the kids flopping around and how their mind and their attention is. And she knows that, I'm sure, that the Buddha used an image. He says, the ordinary mind uh, is often like a fish that is on the side of, out of the water by the side of the river, and it's flipping and flopping in all directions, you know. And uh, this is the untrained mind. This is the ordinary attention. It's kind of scattered, you know. It goes here for a minute and goes there, and then it goes over there, you know. It goes from lunch to 20 years ago, back to here, but just for a second, you know, just so I, basically, if somebody asked me, did you meditate? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Were you with the breath? Yeah, I checked it, you know, every few minutes, I just, like, connected for a few seconds, you know. <laughs> and so that's the ordinary man. mind is like the fish on the side of the water like this. And the attention, the wise attention, or that we're trying to de develop or cultivate here is an attention that is much more sustained, that uh, really touches things, like uh, we could say has depth to it. Sometimes the image is, another image that is used is a cork on the surface of a, a stream, you know, it, it would go like this, or a watermelon. And I don't know if you often throw watermelon <laughs> in rivers. <laughs> But if you did, you would apparently see that it goes like this, you know. And the attention that we're trying to develop here is more like a rock that goes right to the bottom, you know. So when actually, when uh, it feels the feet, for example, it just really feels it. It really invests in it. it. It's generous. That's how I think of it. It really, and so usually we'll just check the feet, you know, like for a second we'll touch. There will be a one half a second of contact with reality 
and we'll go, oh, God, it's itching. It's so itching. And there's a whole story. Every time I sit, it gets numb, and I have to do something. I have to, you know, I'm lucky if I go home with my feet. They're probably going to cut it at the end. You know? And, you know, but there's a second of feeling really connecting with life. And what we want to do here is to actually feel the feet. Really go in there and feel it. And in that can be revealed my fear of, oh, it's not actually so bad, the sensation that is there. But there's a whole other layer of fear. I fear how it could, it could turn out. You know, the sensation is just a little uncomfortable tingling, tingling, tingling. But I have, you know, if I don't look well, there's more reactivity than actually sensations. Maybe that's one thing I could discover. I could discover something else. I could discover that when I put my attention there, what I, strangely enough, thought that was feet, feet, you know, like feet last week, feet in bed, feet like the same one, feet, solid feet. When I pay a little attention, a little, you know, fish in the, in the river, in the water attention, instead of fish on the side of the water attention, sustained attention, Suddenly it's like, wow, this is so dynamic. Feet is aliveness, is, is a river of sensations. Is, if it's tingling, it's a river of tingling. If it's cold or heat, it's a radiation of heat or something like this. Wow. So I start to see the changing nature of experience. And does the same thing with anything I put attention on. I start to see how changing it is. The changing nature of uh, my despair, maybe, or, or sadness. If I sit here and I become aware of the sadness, so it, suddenly it has a taint, a color, a flavor of uh, hopelessness. And if I stay there, maybe it, it'll take a color of a little compassion. There's a, there's a sadness is still there, but there's a caring about it suddenly that is there. Oh. So what I call my sadness that I've been having for 25 years is actually something moving a little bit more than I thought. Yeah? That is very liberating. One time I was on retreat here and I was going to a grieving process. So I thought that I had been here for a few days grieving, solidly stuck in grief, you know, separated from what I want and aware only of that and in a deep, difficult, painful way. And um, in the morning, as I was uh, going from maybe coming, coming here or something like this, I remember I had seen through the window of the kitchen people cutting veggies and I had been here enough times to know that these veggies probably equaled pizza. <laughs> you know, maybe yellow bell, pe yellow pepper, bell peppers, if that's how it's called. Something anyway. And so anyway, I was in my grief. It was very difficult uh, mind state to be in, mind and body state, because you know we feel stuff. 
And at some point I was uh, sitting outside on the bench there by the front door in grief, probably a lot of the time absorbed in some kind of story and sometimes mindful, you know, just holding the either the what teared, completely teared heart, opened, ripped heart, just being with that, or pressured, contracted heart, or you know, some, something like this. And, and the bell rang, it was the lunch bell. And for a second, I just stood up, you know, like pizza. <laughs> I really like st- stood up, you know, like, you know, I went up the first few steps and opened the door, you know, and suddenly the grief came back, you know, like I'm, a gr- I'm grieving, you know. But I saw, wow, for these, what, two or three seconds, you'll say, well, that's not much, you know. There was no grief in the mind. Grief was an unstable thing. It, w- it had disappeared. It was not in experience. And then it was back or there was something known as grief, you know. But I remember how, to me, this was an insight. I was like, wow. Like sometimes it's actually not there at all. It doesn't exist in my experience for that moment. That was so liberating. It was my first hole that I poked in the material, kind of, or saw, the first hole I saw, maybe. This was very empowering. And then I started to see, like, oh, I think I'm such a person. I find myself like I'm an anxious person, an agitated person, I'm a person who, I don't know, you know, plenty of things. And then I could see, like, but hold on, not here, not here, not here, and here, oh, here's that. You know? Anyway, there was a clarification of this. I hope this is somewhat interesting. I'm trying to talk about the practice we're doing here. I mean, that's some aspect of the practice. It might not reflect your practice. You know, you might be somewhere else. So maybe I'm talking a lot about emotions and some about difficult emotions, and you might not be there at all. But hopefully you're starting to notice some kind of fluctuation somewhere in the states of mind or in the physical sensations. Um, this is known to be wise attention when we see fluctuation, the unstability of things. And the idea also would be to come to, be, uh, come to terms with that. Oh, like I don't have control over everything, over f- very few things actually. And can that be somewhat all right? You know? So this attention that we bring, it might look um, passive, like we do nothing all day, we just watch life, you know. But actually the way it's described is uh, it's this, uh, as the quality of being participative. It actually is a new condition that we bring in the mind. The ordinary mind usually goes to habitual ways to be with things, to react. You know? And so when we bring attention, what I have noticed is that there's a choice point that uh, opens up. If I'm attentive, if I'm aware of what's happening, let's say I'm stuck in resentment or self-deprecation, 
everybody's such a good yogi, they're unenlightened or close to, on the edge of, and I'm there miles behind, you know, like my little stuck mind, you know, you know, and suddenly I become aware, oh, self-deprecation. If, if I become aware, there's a choice point there. Maybe I could discover that uh, actually this is happening. Sometimes we don't even know. People often will report this when they come to, me to retreat. They'll say, wow, this mind is so violent. I didn't know that. But sitting here in silence, I can see how or how it looks for trouble, how it, it has this habit of judging. It's just like, it's, um, what's the word in English? It's um, hijacking the senses, like the sense of sight, the, the seeing. Seeing, seeing is uh, suddenly, I, I can notice it's hijacked by the, the, the need to judge. So it's kind of a radar suddenly. You know, get in the dining hall. You know, when Anushka was saying today, like you can judge people by their serving technique. I like the, <laughs> the expression you use. <laughs> or amount of food, you know. And so sight, which could be used for liberation, it could be used to clarify things. But unknowingly to me, it's used to judge. You know, like Sam, look at this one. Oh my good Lord. <laughs> you know, oh la la, you know, and this one, you know, or me, you know, or something like this. And so I can become aware of this. This is insight. I can see like, wow, this is what the mind does. What I like about this attention also is that it's non-judgmental. So even if I find a judgmenting, judging mind, there's no judgment about this. It's factual. It's like, oh, the mind is judging a lot. It's not like, bad you, judging again. It's not that kind of attention that we're developing. It's in that the attention is like, oh, look at that, what the mind does. Or comparing mind. You know, wow, the mind is always comparing, comparing with the other. You know, either above or below, but comparing, you know. You can, so the tendencies of the mind are being revealed with attention. The unwholesome uh, tendencies are being revealed. And it's not so much of an intellectual thing. That's the difficult part of it. It's, it's, uh, it's really a lived thing. You know, you, like you're soaking in self-judgment. You're soaking in comparing. Do you have this experience? Like it's a... You, so the, um, the, why we call it insight? Because it's not an idea I have about something. It's, it's, uh, it's penetrative. Because I, if I have a habit of mind that is in f operating, and it's the difficult, entangling, that's how I think about it. It's not liberating habit of mind. It's an entangling habit of mind. I feel it when I'm on retreat with the silence. and the, you know, I really feel how unhelpful it is for me and for others. It's, it's uncomfortable, yeah? That's how liberation happened, because at some point it's like, oh my God, I can't do this anymore. It's like exhausting to have an opinion about, let's say your mind tend to opinionate about things. They should open the windows, it shouldn't be so cold. They shouldn't ring the bell now, you know? And uh, I wouldn't, why do they put the teachers up? They shouldn't be up, you know? Something like women should be on one side, men on the other. Oh no, you know it's too binary. You know, like like opinionating, and at some point you're like with bringing the attention again and again. Like this is what this mind does all day. 
this is crazy making. This is a kind of insight. It's good. It's good practice. We get to see the tendencies of the mind. They're being revealed. And so there might be a choice point at some point. Oh, let me just return to the breath, you know, and let go of that story, you know. Or attend to the heart that is untangled in a story rather than the story itself. You know, the trance of thoughts is often that there's a story there. It's kind of the object. All the attention goes there, you know, this. And in the meditation, we turn the attention around and we say, so what's happening here? How does it feel to be resentful or worried about the future all the time? You know, how does it actually fit? Instead of being like, yeah, but it's going to really turn bad. I'm really going to end up alone in the little house with no windows, you know, some kind of basement. And like, this is really where it's heading. What's actually happening here? So I let go of the obsession with the story or outside object, the other or and I come back here and I attend to that. And similarly, when, uh, again, when there's the helpful tendencies of mind, then I can really feel it, feel it deeply. I can feel, oh, this is liberating, the kindness. If I'm, let's say I'm uh, in the coming through the door somewhere in the building and somebody arrives at the same time or I arrive a little, like half a second before them, but suddenly in the mind, there's this generosity that just pops up, you know, like, oh. And the person goes first and then there's this, oh, that felt really good. I can really feel this. If I'm in my, you know, scattered mind, I, I'll, I might gloss over this. But if I'm a little bit more quiet and attentive, I'll feel the effect of generosity. Even if it's the a generosity of the other, they let me go first. If I'm attentive and quiet, I might be really touched by this. Wow, they didn't have to do that. That was nice. Yeah. Horror story of mind. I remember one time on retreat, many things about the front door, many, many stories, front door stories, but I was actually going out the front door to uh, go walk outside. And I think I was being pretty attentive to stepping and walking. And, and as I put my hand on the door knob to open the door, I don't know if it's still like this, probably still like this, there's windows on each side of the door. I saw that somebody was coming in and they were actually looking down, so they, were, they didn't see me through the door that I was about to open the door. And, uh, and they, were coming, they were coming in, and the reactivity that I have, I, I'm, I, I'm revealing how this mind was in the past. <laughs> Sometimes. But uh, this, you know what happened? It was really horrible. There was this little, I, I think I have to put the right word on it, the right word would be cruelty. I knew they didn't see me and I knew I had seen them and I just opened the door really quick, quickly and, and their hand just went like, you know, they missed the handle. You know, there was no, I, you know, I didn't, you know, hit them with the door <laughs> or anything. I just, I just 
I don't know, it was some, I could see it, it, it was like some kind of, I had the power, I knew something they didn't know, and, and I just did this little thing, and, the, and they just went like this, and then they kind of smiled and went in, and, they were, they were, and I probably smiled or something like this, but I saw, wow, this was kind of, I want to say, abuse of power, you know, in a very s small way, you'll see, but, and then suddenly they were like, wow, that is possible in this mind that probably happens in all kinds of ways you know that I'm glossing over or you know it doesn't fit my description of myself you know but then so that's kind of a bad news bad tendency of the mind that was revealed there I think it was a good thing that it was revealed you know because it came with some kind of uh, I would call it wholesome fear some kind of fear like wow a mind can do things like this you know it's really good to know what the mind is about to do, you know, because we can have a choice point and say, like, uh, actually, let open the door slowly so we both touch the end. Like, I mean, it's nothing to it in a way, and in a way, this it's big, a big thing, you know. But that's why we slow down on retreat because we want to start see these things, you know. And if there was wrong attention then that would be perfect occasion for uh, kind of guilt tripping, selfing. Bad, cruel person, Pascal, you're so cruel. That would be unwise attention. That would fit this quote where the Buddha says, you know, untrained mind, they put uh, attention where they shouldn't put attention. So they would be here putting attention on the creating, creation of a self, a bad self. But the wise attention is there is the presence of cruelty it's good not to cultivate this, not to act on this, to know when it arises and to let, let it go, not act on this. Not making a self story about it, not defining self, not owning this, but being responsible. Do you see what I mean? Do you see the subtle the, the, the thing in there? I don't know if it's subtle or not, but... So, yeah. And so what I've seen in this practice for me is that there's a lot of clarification of what is wholesome and what is unwholesome. And, uh, and also not owning nor one or the other. When there is generosity, trying to act on it, to feel the flavor of it, how liberating, it, how protective it is for self and others. When there is another tendency of mine, if it's more unwholesome, to recognize that it's not so helpful and to see how it can be abandoned. So maybe you got some in this, these few words about this practice that one of the key points of the practice here is, um, is continuity of attention. So it's not just cushion or it's not just cushion and formal walking. The invitation is to s bring attention when I'm in the bedroom, brushing teeth. Uh, just, you know, and there's going to be many gaps because it's a practice, it's a training. But the more we do this, um, how do I want to say this? The, uh, the predominant cause, the first cause of attention. Do you know what, do you guys know what it is? The first cause of the, what causes attention? Attention. 
So when you have a moment of attention, it's a training, it's a conditioning the mind. It's, there's neural pathways being created of being attentive, careful. Yeah? So when I'm attentive, I'm fostering or cultivating more attention. So the more you bring attention here and there, every time you have an opportunity option, remembering that it's possible to be attentive, it's going to start to feel its way into all the places. And then we're going to start to see, you know, as I tie my shoes, how driven I am when I do it or not. You know, how quietly I do it or economically, I want to say, without spending so much energy, just the right amount of energy. You know, we're going to start to see how we're using this body, using speech, using heart, mind. Yeah. Okay. So, a few simple ideas about practice. I hope there was something helpful in there for you, maybe framing a little bit why we're here doing what we're doing. So let's take just a few seconds of uh, quiet before going to the meal. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.